This is the third in a series of CMEC podcasts on Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 strategy, being done in conjunction with the King Faisal Center for Research and Islamic Studies based in Saudi Arabia. Neom. Even the word is futuristic. A city from another planet, perhaps, or, nearer the mark, from the future. First three letters are the ancient Greek for new, neo. The M from mustakbal, an Arabic word for the future. So what is neon? In brief, it is an astonishing new megacity emerging along the Red Sea shore in northwest Saudi Arabia that could one day house nine million people, more than a quarter of the country's current population. This, at an estimated cost so far, of a trillion dollars. Neom is a hugely ambitious and astonishing enterprise. The ambition comprises a technological and construction project of mind-boggling proportions. A carbon-neutral city up to 70 miles long, it is an integral part of Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 program. Vision 2030's mission is to diversify the kingdom's economy away from oil dependency towards a green and sustainable future for the kingdom at a time of climate change. So, what part will Neon play in the kingdom's future? What about the technology that will make it happen? And what will its cultural and social impact be on Saudi Arabia and the Gulf as a whole? To discuss this, I'm joined by two eminent guests who've been involved firsthand in this extraordinary project. We're joined from Singapore by Dr. Aisha Al-Sarihi, who is currently a research fellow at the National University of Singapore's Middle East Institute and a non-resident fellow at the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington. Aisha's areas of research expertise and interest include clean energy policy and climate economics, policy and governance, with a focus on the Arab region. Aisha, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to contribute to this series. Also joining us from Riyadh is Dr. Rami Al-Harbi. Hello, Rami. Thanks for having me. Rami is a senior research specialist at the Ministry of Culture in Saudi Arabia. He earned his PhD from Edgewood College in Madison, Wisconsin, USA, where his dissertation was selected for the Distinguished Award. Dr. Al-Harbi writes about narratives of change in the Neom area in rural Saudi Arabia, both material and subjective including topics of tribalism, religion, identity, and intercultural communication. Rami Al-Harbi is a UNESCO expert in the safeguarding of intangible culturitage. Rami, if I can start with you, you come from the city of Tabuk in the north, close to the Jordanian border, and this is where Neom's being built. Can you tell us exactly where Neom will be and what kind of region it will be in? What kind of people live there? So... If we start with the location, so Neom is in the far northern part of Saudi Arabia. There are a lot of villages like in that area, and it's almost 26,000 kilometers along the Red Sea, of course. It's made like a lot of tribes live there, al Hawaii and others from the area. We have a lot of mountains and deserts and oceans, of course, pretty nice areas like greenery and the weather is different than other areas in Saudi. It snows at, on the top of mountains now uh, during winters and we will elaborate on some of these specifics later in the talk. 
that's just a short brief. Thank you. From even what you've described, which we'll come to later, you've got something very new being planted somewhere of great tradition, natural beauty and age. I think that's something that's going to be fascinating to explore later on in, in the talk. Aisha, your areas of expertise include clean energy policy and climate economics. Could you just give us a broad overview of the scale of NEOM? How big will it be and how many people could end up living there? What's it going to be like? Well, so as an observer for the NEOM project, I think it's going to be one of the mega projects. And we've heard from a recent release of the official press regarding the NEOM that initially is expected to host 1.5 million people for an initial stage, and that would be later on scaled up to have 5 million people living in the area. And then by 2020, by 2045, it is expected to have 9 million people. And that is actually two times the population of Oman, which is a big number, I think. Yeah, so I think we should wait and see. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to a lot of people listening, the idea of a huge number of people coming together to live in a city is not your first idea of green. How will that work? Well, yes. So so I do have questions about Neom more than answers. So the question that I have in mind, okay, so we, we learned today from the news that there will be a design for the line project that will take place in Neom. And the question I have, is it environmentally friendly? Sorry, do you mind just for our listeners just elaborating what the line project? So the line project is expected to be building a city in a line shape. So it, it's going to be a horizontal shape of a city, but also the structure of it where the people will live and also the transportation system will be built in blocks in a vertical manner. So the people are expected to live on that line. I don't recall how long the line would be, but the transportation from the start point to the end point will be 20 minutes through Metro. Now, from what we also hear, we hear that the electricity generation the, the power of the city will be fully dependent or 100% dependent on renewables. And also, because I am a researcher who focuses on the climate and the environment, the question is whether the city is environmentally friendly. And that doesn't only mean that whether we will power it by renewables or not, but also the architecture, the design of the city especially for the special environmental conditions in Saudi Arabia, is it going to help reduce the energy consumption? That is a major issue in the region because we spend a lot of energy in air conditioning because of the weather. So whether this line design and the architecture is going to help reducing the energy consumption and it's going to help, you know, to cooling down the city in a natural manner, rather than depending fully on external sources of, of energy. If we could do that, if we can end up with a city where we can build an example, which can be later on 
bring lessons for other places in the kingdom. Because when we speak about sustainability and, you know, making the economy green, we cannot do it only in one mega project. We need to do it across the economy. We need to make it in a broader scale where we make the transformation happens across other cities as well. So whether Neom or the line bring lessons for the other cities in the kingdom, if we can do that, then that is great as well. That's fascinating. And I'm guessing that solar energy will play quite a large role in the renewables package. That's correct. If I might just jump in. The project is 170 kilometers, the length of this project. A few points Aisha was mentioning about how to use renewable energy to sustain the weather and other standards of healthy community living. If we think about the projects, some major companies from the U.S. and other places are are promoting a cutting-edge initiatives to use clean, purely clean energy from using fresh water, wind, and the sun. It is definitely from all the documents and other resources. It's designing something that hasn't ever been discovered in many ways. Mainly, of course, green. I, well, this is Aisha's expertise, but I think it's green nitrogen and ammonia to, to replace fossil fuel in general. The weather there is not bad in the northern part, so it won't be a major problem regardless. So, Rami, you've, you've mentioned what sounds, which is Aisha's speciality, very, very cutting edge new technology. And we're bringing this into a, a region that I'm guessing probably hasn't changed very much because it's been quite a rural region, is that correct, for quite a long time. How is, even if people aren't living in the line in the city, how is it going to affect people around the area? And how's it going down? I mean, in the UK, we know what people generally feel when someone builds something new in their historic place. And it usually doesn't go down that well. How's it going down with the locals? That's a good question. A lot of focus on many news outlets are speaking about the feeling of the locals. And what I'd like to say about that is we have good policies and procedures put into place. How we look at this is opportunity versus or even more of an obligation towards the world. It's a bigger idea, I think, than than just thinking of the details that a lot of people are unaware of. So if we speak about the local community, we have a generational, let's say, disconnect between young and old. And this is across board, not just, I'm not talking just about Neo. So the young sees this as an opportunity, a future opportunity, a dream that just happened because they would like to get more education. They would like to have just a different and new school of thought than their parents. And so they like how this is going. A lot of jobs are created. Uh, the older people are more familiar with their areas. They don't want to leave, of course, but we don't have a lot of people living there anyway. A lot of people, like my family, you, we have little like condos or something to go during like the weekend. But you don't have major populations living in that area. A lot of people feel good about this because of what it's bringing. A lot of people are sent out for this, for educational opportunity. And we have the other side of this, which is the tribal connection 
to land. So if we look at the map of tribes in Saudi Arabia, we kind of see that all of these tribes living in that area are connected to the area itself, starting from Egypt to Jordan to even some areas of northern Najd or northern Saudi Arabia in general, Iraq and other places. So that, that connection is still, it still exists. Many people move to Tabuk City, which is an hour away, an hour and 30 minutes away, and they have families there. So the general view of this for the majority of the people is it's an exquisite opportunity uh, and it's bringing a lot of, of, of potential, a lot of hope. You see a lot of foreigners coming nowadays and the, we are still working on like the infrastructural part of it. Like um, there isn't still huge buildings or anything, but still a new project. That's my view of, of that. And once you have these policies in place implemented, I think the outcome would be good, especially you will elevate the society by educating them. Thank you. Just a reminder, I'm CMEX Director Charlotte Leslie, and I'm joined by Dr. Aisha al currently a research fellow at the National University of Singapore's Middle East Institute, and Dr. Rami Al-Harbi, a senior research specialist at the Ministry of Culture in Saudi Arabia. And you mentioned, Rami, a, a generation divide, and that's not only the case in Saudi Arabia, but especially when it comes to development to many places. Of course, mm-hmm. I guess Neom is the, the brainchild very much of the young crown prince mm-hmm. of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. I'll, I'll come to Aisha first, and then Rami, I'll ask you, where does Neom sit in uh, the crown prince's vision 2030? How does it fit in with that? Yeah, I think... One of the major objectives of the Vision 2030 is the economic diversification. And I think NEOM as a project is definitely going to contribute to attracting tourism in the region. You know, like, well, there is like a lot of uh, point of views regarding mega projects. But if you look around, for example, like I am sitting now, I'm speaking from Singapore, the marina sand base, for example, is a tourism attraction for Singapore. And I think uh, Neom City and the line is going to make something iconic for Saudi Arabia to attract tourism. So people, when they go there, would say, okay, I'm going to also go and visit Neom as well. So I think in a way it's going to help in attracting tourism. But I think what also Neom and also from what we read, and especially for the youth, where the youth are more like interested, you know, in employment and finding jobs. I think one opportunity that could bring is the creating an enabling environment for the small, medium enterprises. When I think about it, I think about the Silicon Valley in, in the U.S. So in the region, and especially if we speak about it from a climate change point of view, the challenges the Middle East face uh, in terms of the impacts of the climate change are unique and different from the challenges faced in other parts of the world. So we really need unique solutions and we need really need like innovative solutions to tackle climate change. And actually looking at the bank of the Gulf countries in terms of their competitiveness, in a global innovation index, 
we are progressing, but we are in the lower part of the rank. And I think if Neom could enable that environment for people to come establish innovative businesses and you know, try to address the, the, the sustainability, the environmental issues, I think this is something that would help to make it more attractive for the youth where the Vision 2030 is actually focusing on. And do you That's- think, Aisha, that it could, it could really spur an interest in science and technology amongst that population and the youth? And where would women sit in that? Are women going to be welcome in the science and technology sectors? Well, well I think there is a lot of work ne- needs to be done when it comes on attracting and the youth and the women in, in terms of being involved in the science and technology. But I think there is the interest is out there. And I have seen, especially from the young people, like they are interested in being involved in global science competitions across the, the, the region. I think what we need probably to do is along with enabling the environment is also to encourage and create the right incentives for those people to be involved. And I, th- I don't think that involving the woman will be a challenge because I honestly, I think women are naturally interested in getting involved and, you know, building their own business and, and you know, whether they want also to do research. But I think creating that enabling environment where everyone can be involved is, is, is key here. And I guess someone like you is an indication to young women looking at going into science that it is possible. It is possible. As long as I want to do it, it's possible. And as long as like, there is an enabling environment, it's possible. Rami, coming to you, how does NEON fit into the wider Vision 2030 mission? So the kingdom's geographic location and until recently isolation, family orientations, tribalism, religion, we have this manifested Arab Islamic culture that sort of shapes the view and what we, I guess, can call a moral veto when it comes to making decisions. Vision 2030 is coming to bring and identify a contemporary perception to a traditional established order. It's a need, it's a must, it's what people have become, it's it's empowering. And numbers are showing if we look at all aspects, specifically jobs for women. I think the numbers are showing the opportunities and and enabling for, for them to join the, the workforce at all levels. And the laws are progressive and are changing, especially when, it, when we come to that area. There are designed laws that are separate from the laws that would be for other places. In, in nowadays, I think moving from the industrial era, which for much we didn't join in Saudi, or I would say most of the Gulf countries and the Middle East. The technological era, I think we're leading for sure in Saudi. And a lot of studies have shown, especially when it, if you look at the coronavirus situation and other situations of 
simple and uh, access. We have a young generation or a young a younger generation when it comes to the whole population. We have, I think, 70 to 70 percent under the age of 35 or 30. And that helps too. So that's what, how I see Vision 2030. It's, it's just a vision to, I would say, build around. And it talked about the vision itself, talked about three main themes, which is a vibrant society, a thriving economy, and ambitious nation. So that would be translated to all projects. So I guess you're saying modernization, but in a very Saudi way. For sure, for sure, because globalization is not very welcome in many areas here. So it has to be a Saudi-led like culture or a new Saudi public sphere, let's say. Thank you. Just a reminder, I'm CMEX Director Charlotte Leslie, and I'm joined by Dr. Aisha Al-Sarihi, currently a research fellow at the National University of Singapore's Middle East Institute, and Dr. Rami Al-Harbi, a senior research specialist at the Ministry of Culture in Saudi Arabia. Aisha, Neom is sometimes referred to as the kingdom's new oil. How much will it diversify? What is now obviously a very oil-dependent economy and how much of the project is being driven by the, the tangible challenges of climate change? So I think the idea when the people say it is the new oil, perhaps there's the imagination that we will come to a future where the oil doesn't play a role in the economy or the energy mix. But uh, probably that is, uh, you know, a long, a very long term point of view because and especially for Saudi Arabia, the oil playing a major role in the economy. And most recently, the kingdom announced it's going to increase the production capacity of the oil to reach 13 million barrels per day, where the economy will, you know, still playing a role in the economy for the kingdom for a long run. And for that, the kingdom is not neglecting the issue of the climate change and around that you know released this a circular carbon economy approach where the different types of technology that are going to help in addressing the issue of the climate change will be involved and in which also the the oil will not be you know the role of oil will not be eliminated in tackling the climate change. And with that, the country will continue to use oil, but at the same time, it will aim to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as much as possible using different technologies like carbon capture and storage. And there is a big hydrogen project is planned to take place as well in Neom. And I think the idea when the people say neon will be the new oil, I think neon will be an experiment for the country to see how we can run a city without oil and whether that be a visible and sustainable a project moving forward. Can we do it moving forward? And I think that is, in a way is a really good because it's going to bring the lessons later on 
where the kingdom is slowly uh, will be and ultimately will be moving away from oil because you know the lifetime of oil is also limited yes pr probably for the kingdom maybe there are still 80 years ahead for the oil to be produced and consumed but ultimately thinking about the future generation probably the, the life of oil will end and then we will need to think about the alternatives and i think this neom experiment to depend 100 percent on renewable is a good experiment to bring it the lessons for the future developments so you're saying this is a very very long-term plan and a long-term aspiration looking to future generations because of course as you referred to at the moment while russia's illegal war in ukraine is is raging on this has driven up oil prices. Does that make it more difficult in the short term for Saudi Arabia to move away from oil? That is certainly true, not only for Saudi Arabia, but also for the countries which are immediately affected by the impacts and the implications of Russia-Ukraine crisis, especially the European countries. And it, like the, the current situation has proved that the renewables the renewable energy cannot maintain the security of the energy supplies at the current stage and cannot replace the role of the gas and the, the role of the oil that's imported from somewhere else so for the kingdom it has to play this role where it can provide the alternative supplies of the oil for the European countries, uh, you know, because of the face, the ambition for the European countries to face out the dependence on the Russian gas. But that said, I think thinking long term is also important. And I think this is, uh, is actually happening. Thank you. So I guess Rami, moving from looking to the future in the very long term, I wonder if we can turn to the deep, deep past and look at one of Al-Ula's major tourist attractions, which is, of course, its, its deep history, ancient inscriptions at sites of Dada and Lihan and, and relics from, and evidence from the Nabatean kingdoms. Many, many civilizations, yes. Absolutely. A sort of melting pot of very, very mm -hmm. ancient civilizations and tribes. Mm -hmm. How on earth does something as new and as man-made as Neom integrate with the hauntingly beautiful ancient landscape and ancient civilization cradle of Al-Ula? How does that work? They're totally separate projects. They don't have anything in common except that it's, they're both a Vision 2030 project. They're major projects. One is... In Neom, there are a lot of historical areas from the same era and civilization. In fact, different and different civilizations as well. You know, the, the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is so rich and we are every day discovering something new in different areas in the in Taima and, and many other places. But going back to the question, I think Neom's focus is more of for the future, what's next? Now, I think it's a worldwide project. This is not only to create ideas or what sounds good. I think there are some work that has been done in, back in 2020. So it's not far future project. In fact, it has already met some 
of their goals. In 2020, they sent the tons of blue ammonia, first ever in the world, to Japan. That was with zero carbon emissions. And they're trying to do that across the country with the gas stations and like buses and big transportation. So some work has been done. They're now making fresh water somehow, not sure about the details, without emissions. And so the whole idea is built on sustainability. So it's different than Alula. Alula is to preserve and to have the world look at this like peace and just enjoy a trip when they go to a diverse country. You can go to the mountains, you can go to the ocean desert. I don't see them as one. So would a tourist be able to time travel from the, the deep ancient times of Alula to Neom in a couple of days? Would that be possible for a tourist? Yeah, you mean how, how long it takes? It, it takes maybe less, maybe hours. Why not? Because yeah, it, everything is being built from scratch. And any innovative idea, I'm sure, is welcome. It's an open space for creativity, both in Alula and in Neom. And I guess everything uh, and- is... Yeah, and that's why it's simple to start something. And I guess everything was new once. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. And I don't want to talk about the civilizations and that area. There are many books about that. So if your audience are interested, they can you know, look it up or visit. So I want to move to the people living in Neom and actually also in Saudi Arabia and the Gulf in general. Coming back to Aisha... How do you see the population of Neom's behavior shifting and being impacted by the environment in which they live and the emphasis on green energy? Do you see a, a, a behavior shift happening? Okay, that's an interesting question. I think, first of all, when we think about Neom as a, a new city, and you know, it is something like as it's also announced, something that doesn't seem to be looking like anything else. I think that that would be like for someone, for me, like, for example, do I want to go and live there? And what would make me, attract me to go and live there? Perhaps for the people who are more interested in the environment, if it is like bringing those aspects of, you know, for me, the most important thing when we speak about environmentally friendly projects is like, do I need to commute less to travel from one place to another? Do I need to consume less of the energy? Because, you know, with time, the energy prices are increasing. But if we can increase the efficiency of the energy use, and then with that, we could also help reducing the prices, then that would be also some kind of incentive for me, for example, to go and move there. And also, like, because of this rising awareness about, you know, the environmentally sustainability People are interested also to live in a place where they can find these elements exist. For example, the the recycling of waste, because at this time in life, I think people want also to raise families where the, the children have the awareness about how they can, you know, protect the environment and reduce, consume less. I think if these elements do exist, perhaps it would attract people to go and live there Uh, and of course 
you know, for for like, I'm not exactly sure whether the dust storms do happen in Neon, but if this, the, the design of this city is also going to help with tackling the issue of the dust storms, then that would be also another element that would make it maybe more attractive than Riyadh uh, to go and live there. And of course, I mean, as we as we speak, Britain, in a sense, has had a, a wake up to climate change and that we've just recorded our, our highest ever temperature of just over 40 degrees. Rami, to what extent are you seeing climate events in the Gulf region? I know that the region has been very affected by record temperatures and record events. And to what extent is this gaining traction amongst the consciousness of people? Is there a generational divide between young people, old people? Is there a renewed interest in sustaining our climate for the future? Yes, of course. Of course, there is an awareness among the people here. And we are firmly going forward towards meeting and aligning with the Paris agreements. And a lot of people now are aware of recycling and healthy lifestyle. And that's what's very attracting about this project in, in I'm going to go back a little bit to Neom and, and the idea of, of living a healthy life. It's not only for the locals, it's attracting everybody that would like to live in a good life in peace, nature and healthy lifestyles. And that is a big sector they're focusing on, hosting a lot of sports and so the, the vision includes that part. For, we do have a lot of initiatives to tackle that as well. We have a lot of, we have this massive project about planting trees. I think it's a billion tree across the country or something. That's a project has been going, announced by the Crown Prince. And we, now you drive around Riyadh and you see all of these trees that we didn't see before, which feels great. Other projects alike, some didn't or haven't been announced. I think I've read somewhere about recycling, like plastic recycling we have, which is a new institution, I think, was established just to promote the idea. And you see them doing great work to recycling a lot of, of, of plastic and paper and other materials. So, yes, the people are aware and the younger generation involved with the world community, having a better cosmopolitan view of, of healthy life and good values. And of course, they would like to contribute to their own nation. And finishing up, really, Aisha, we have COP27 taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, and then COP28 taking place in the UAE. Are we beginning to see the Arab world be a driver for change on climate change? Well, yes, I think being host of the two consequent COPs in the region is in a way is going to, it's actually happening. It is raising a lot of interest and awareness about the climate change both at you know the research researchers level, the government level, and also at the like normal citizen level, we have seen like a lot of like research have been produced, you know, since the announcement that Egypt is gonna you know host the COP twenty seven. We don't have a center focus on climate change, but we do have research that is 
taking place within the region and with the host of the COPs, now a, a lot of analysis is coming out in terms of trying to find out how the climate change is impacting the region and what are the areas where we can fulfill the gaps and, you know, accelerate the climate action in the region. At the same time, it's also triggering the governmental entities to, you know, for example, work with each other. So, for example, early this year, there was the climate, Middle East climate week that took place in Dubai, where it brought like a scientist, the policymakers and the business and the entrepreneurs, not only from the Middle East, but also from all over the globe. And in terms of hosting the COP27 and the COP28, we, we can see also that Egypt and the UAE uh, working together to discuss how they can make the arrangements for the COP and also how they can also cooperate in terms of addressing the climate change. So I think being host is having, you know, a, a spillover in different areas. And it has created some kind of momentum in the region. And also it is important because for Egypt and the UAE, it's important to showcase that we also not only get a host, but we also are doing something about it. So, yeah, I think the, the region is, is, or at least like the action toward climate is gaining momentum in the region. And these COPs are helping with that. Rami, just to finish off, how would you answer mm-hmm. a skeptic who says, look, this all sounds great. It all looks good. But mm-hmm. with a country in a region so dependent on oil, how do you expect us mm-hmm. to believe that this isn't just for appearance sake? What would you say to that? Well, okay. yes, this is, a, this is a very good question. This is a global, or should be at least, a global effort. A lot of criticism comes from a lot of, of people who are unfamiliar, unaware of sociocultural aspects and, and priorities here. Education is a key, and this project started with a university they just announced and going towards this dream because it's good for the country and for the world because the the target is not just to bring revenue, it is to have a lifestyle. It is definitely a dream for many that they can't imagine. But as the Arabic saying goes, I'm pointing at the moon and the fool is looking at my finger. It's, you need to be imaginary to believe in this. And it's moving forward. Aisha, final word to you. Well, thank you. So yes, I think, although like there, there would be skepticism about how realistic are the oil producers about their climate action? I think the even the oil producers, they don't have a choice when it comes to the climate change because the impacts of the climate change are, you know, uh, are there and they are felt across the region. For example, the frequency and the intensity of extreme weather events are taking place. We have seen also most recently increase in frequency on the, you know, the happening of the dust storms, the heat waves. 
So these issues, although like perhaps at the national level, we don't say these are the cause of the climate change, but we in the region, at least uh, the, the governments are trying to find out solutions for those. And these solutions, even if we don't call it a climate solution, it is a, a solution to address the issues of the climate change. For the increase in the temperature, you need to do a lot of cooling in the region. And the, the government, for example, of Saudi Arabia have realized this problem a while back. They have focused a lot of, they put a lot of efforts in enhancing the energy efficiency in the kingdom because they understand that would help in reducing the energy consumption at the domestic level. And when you reduce the energy consumption, that in that case, you can also, the oil and you not use it domestically, you can release it and, you know, make a bene another benefit of it. Maybe you can use it for other purposes, like for other industrial purposes. And in that way, you help with the economic growth of other sectors. So it is in a way like there's an increase in the temperature and then the, the, there's an increase in the for cooling. And then, then there is an increase in the energy consumption. That is an issue of the climate change. We don't call it that, but we, we try to address that issue. Thank you. Well, I think let's hope for all our sakes that, that long-term interests prevail. Can I just say thanks again? We've been joined by Dr. Aisha Al-Sarihi, currently a research fellow at the National University of Singapore's Middle East Institute, and Dr. Rami Al-Harbi, a senior research specialist at the Ministry of Culture in Saudi Arabia. Both of you, thank you very, very much. It's been absolutely fascinating. And just a reminder from me, Charlotte Leslie, the director of CMEC, this podcast series on Vision 2030 is being done in conjunction with the King Faisal Centre for Research and Islamic Studies. Dr. Rami, Aisha, thank you both very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.